Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to the All Dad Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Matash, and I have with me Michelle Caron, or Karen. She's from France slash Finland, and she's very interesting because she grew up studying astrology. She got into Carl Jung and then into shamanism, and she was into acting, and... Uh, she was into all kinds of things. She wrote about nine books. She was into yoga. Um, so very, and she's a psychic medium as well. She has gifts as a psychic medium. And we're gonna talk about writing books, uh, fasting, and last but not least, a controversial subject. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, she's gonna talk about the coronavirus situation and how what she thinks about the situation, how she thinks it could be handled, what she thinks, what she really thinks about the masks and what she thinks about the vaccines that are being developed. This and much more in today's podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the All Dad Jazz Podcast with Matyash and I have with me here Michelle Karen and uh, she is currently in Finland uh, but she's half Finnish, half French and she's done many, many things in her life. Most importantly right now we're going to talk about a lot of astrology and shamanism. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So I saw that you, you've uh, authored in, uh, a lot of books as well, and this started early on in your life. Yeah, well, I became an astrologer at the age of 14 to begin okay. with, and I first wanted to be a writer, and my parents told me that this was not a job, <laughs> but then <laughs> I wanted to be an actress, that was not a job either, then I wanted to be an astrologer, well, that was not a job, so anyway, I ended up doing everything that my parents told me was not a job. <laughs> right. So traditional parents, they wanted you to be, to have a job, be happy, go to work. Yeah, well, I don't know if they wanted me to be happy, but they definitely wanted me to have a job. <laughs> right, right, right. A normal job. Um, and uh, the, a nine to five job that had a salary that was secure and that would give me stability. And I took a completely different path. So yeah, I wrote those books. The first book I wrote, I was 21. Uh, it was a series of three, three short stories. And then I wrote a, um, a spiritual fairy tale, sort of, a fairy tale for our times. And then I wrote my first astrology book and then from there. So I think to date, I must have written about eight or nine books. I'm not sure, something like that. Um, and I basically was very lucky because I was able to write what I wanted to write about. So I, I wrote some very varied things. I wrote a novel on yoga. I wrote a book on uh, living food nutrition. I wrote two books on astrology. I wrote a spiritual fairy tale. Um, you know, I just went with the flow and wrote what I felt like writing. That's Which amazing. Really unheard of because usually publishers like to put you in a box, and once you're in the box, that's where you should stay. And I defy all the boxes. So <laughs> yeah, we don't like the boxes. We want uh, we want original thought. 
I'm a bit of a free, too free spirit here. <laughs> that's fine. I, I, I think that's my life as well. I, I, people <laughs> want me to have traditional things and I've done, uh, I don't know. I, I've done different things. So um, what I'm interested in, uh, you said you wrote many books. Um, uh, how, I wasn't planning to ask you this, but it just occurred to me. How do you, how, when you go about reading books, how do you just... Um, uh, how do you stay in course to finish from beginning to end? Because some people get really excited in the beginning, but then uh, the interest kind of wanes. Well, my secret is that I never write a book in order. So first of all, I'm the kind of person when I start something, I have to finish it. So what I've done with all my books is that I've written all of them except the last one in one month. But during that one month, I lock myself up, no computer, no radio, no phone, nothing. And I fast for a month. And which means that when you fast, first of all, you have a lot more time because you don't have all the time spent in, you know, uh, preparing food and going to get ingredients at the store. And then you sleep only four hours a night. So I live and breathe my book and I write, I never write in order. So if one day I'm sad, I'm going to write what is sad. If one day I'm happy, I'm going to write what is happy. And I have a system of little clips. So I know there are bits and pieces missing and where those bits and pieces go. But until the very end, I'm not sure myself of what it is that I'm writing. And in the end, everything fits together. It's pretty amazing. Wow. So that seems like a fitting system because you, um, I've never heard that before. You base it on your emotions. And uh, by the way, when you say fasting, do you mean you eat once a day or do you fast like uh, five days and not eat? Complete fasting, complete fasting. Like either I'll do just water or I'll do the um, master cleanse with uh, maple syrup and uh, cayenne pepper and um, uh, lemon juice and water, uh, like five glasses a day of that or just water. Um, so, because when you fast, first of all, your, your mind is a lot clearer and you're much more focused and you have much more staying power, but also your emotions are much cleaner. You know, you don't go for ups and downs. You're much more leveled. And then with that process, because I'm not writing in a linear way, I keep ex being excited with what I'm writing. So as I'm writing it, I'm reading it and discovering it, which is what happens when you read an exciting novel, you keep being excited because you want to know what's going to happen next. And if you write and you get bored or you want to get quickly through a passage that's more longer or more tedious to get to the exciting part, then the reader is going to feel that that part was sort of uh, gotten over quickly instead of really, you wow. know, that's, uh, developed. That's an interesting point because I've had, uh, I've read books of where it felt like it was tedious, but maybe it was tedious from my own, my point of view only, but maybe perhaps it was also the writer that was bored, but 
decided to, I'm just going to keep writing because I need to have this in a book, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And that's a problem, you know, and that's where I was, I've been really very blessed that I was able to write what I felt like writing. So I wasn't in a state of, I have to write this or I have to fulfill a certain assignment. I just wrote what I felt like writing. Very good. Um, so you said, um, was it one month without eating at all? Because yeah. what? I've done five days and I thought that was a lot, but wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that is amazing. Well, not really because, you know, I mean, there's a way, of course, to cleanse yourself and, uh, and, and I usually do this during the summer months so where it's very hot. So you get fed by other things. You get fed by the sun, by the trees, by, um, you know, just other things. Um, but I don't eat much anyway as a normal, you know, I, I just eat once a day anyway as a normal routine. And uh, when my mother died, you know, you always think that my mother died in my arms. And when you, you always think that the last words somebody is going to tell you are like philosophical and life changing and profound. And the last words my mother told me was, Michelle, don't forget to eat. that was supposed to be like something meaningful and deep and philosophical (laughs) but i guess it was important (laughs) she knew she knew about your fasting and she was she wanted to remind you not for to forget to eat yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think i think that once you know, your frequency starts to raise, you don't need to eat so much or you eat very differently, you know? And, uh, and I think everything is a question of frequency and vibration. And the more, um, the happier you are and the more positive you are and the more engaged you are with life and, you know, your body starts to feed through all sorts of other means, which is not necessarily physical food. Right, right, sense. okay. Like <laughs> you're talking about uh, feeding from um, the spirit, almost the soul. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Do, do you believe that uh, people can uh, live uh, more than a month uh, just on, because uh, I've seen, I've heard people do that and some people take it to the extreme and then they die. Well, you need to, you know, I mean, I think it's important to listen to your body, you know, and I won't say that I fast all the time for a month, you know, sometimes I just fast for a day, sometimes for a few hours, sometimes for a week, sometimes for five days, sometimes for two weeks, you know, but I listen to my body. So I don't decide mentally, I'm going to fast for a month because I don't know that. Okay. And what is also very important is to cleanse yourself. So do enemas, colonics, you know, so that you um, get rid of all the toxins and of course breathe, do some yoga, you know, and don't exert yourself too much, um, you know, and listen and, and sleep. In the beginning, you may need to sleep a little more. And then after a while, after, you know, four hours of sleep is going to be enough. 
but listen right. to your body that's very important and i think those people who die it's because they just didn't listen to their body they just went in their mind that's what i'm going to do or somebody did that and i can do the same and everybody's different you know right. like i right. live in arizona well when it's 49 degrees celsius you definitely don't need as much food than when it's minus 40 celsius you know <laughs> So it's also the conditions you find yourself in. And also it's different if you're not dealing with anybody during a month and you're not answering the phone and you're not dealing with emails. It's very different than somebody who is lifting weights or um, moving, you know, being a mover or having, you know, being in contact with three or 400 people a day. And of course, you know, when I'm in contact with three, 400 people a day, which does happen when I give my conferences, I eat, of course, a lot more than if I'm alone and in my own space. Right. So it's all about getting used to it. Because I found um, when I first tried to do three days, I found that on day two, I was, I felt really weak, but I was like, I'm going to continue. <laughs> so I forced myself to reach day three. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if that was a good thing. Well, your body is going to tell you what you need, you know, and, uh, and at some point, three days may be enough or two days may be enough or one day may be enough. So once your tongue becomes clear, um, you know, but it's important to cleanse, to do colonics, to, to fat, you know, when you fast, to do enemas so that you really get rid of all the toxins. And then you won't have migraines and headaches and, and feel like you're going to die. You know, all of that is not going to happen. What is, the, what so, is that colonics? Uh, cleansing the colon, you okay. know, really flushing the colon out. So it's like an internal shower, if you want, or like brushing your teeth. It's the same concept. And a lot of illnesses start in our colon. So if we don't cleanse our colon, we are always going to be um, in, a, in, a, in a position of attracting illnesses because illnesses don't just happen. Right. You know, it's, um, the mind and the body go together. And once we are able to be clear in our body, our mind is going to be clear and our emotions are going to be clear. And I think it's very important nowadays because we're going through so much chaos in the world right now. And there's so much negativity and people are so afraid. And if you can keep your body clear, then your mind is not going to be going through all the ups and downs of what is going on in the world. Right. And you're going to be more leveled and deal with things with more calm and more focus and more clarity. So to, to um, just to finish this up, to, um, to uh, heal your colon, uh, would you recommend uh, a longer fast or do you, is it perhaps a little salt there or what would you recommend? No, no salt, just water, just, just water. water. And really it's about, um, it's about listening to yourself, you know, don't try to do things as a feat or to say I did this or I succeeded in taming my body or you know I don't believe in that kind of discipline that comes from the mind 
you know, like I was a chocolate addict for a long time <laughs> right. because I lived in Switzerland. I grew up in Switzerland. Everybody in Switzerland eats chocolate, you know, and then in Finland, we have, I think, some of the best chocolate in the world. So, you know, it was a natural thing to eat chocolate, but I was really an addict. I mean, I was I was eating a lot of chocolate. And I tried to, to, to curb myself and to stop, but that was my mind saying that. And then one day, naturally, I realized that I had, you know, uh, chocolate in my cupboard that I hadn't touched in like months. And I realized I had one because it wasn't my mind saying, I don't want to eat chocolate. It was my body saying, ah, no, and that's it. Right. So it's very important to, to, to listen to your body because at different times, you know, I believe that 80% we should eat well and 20% whatever you want, you know, whatever you feel like, so that we don't become excessive in anything. Excess in anything is never good. Right. I like that. Talking. And it's not listening to our body. And I believe we should always listen to our body. And sometimes we need to sleep more, sometimes less. Sometimes we need to eat more, sometimes less. Sometimes we need a piece of chocolate, sometimes not, you know. And and sometimes it's good to fast, sometimes it's not. So it's about really being moderate in all things, but also um, tracking ourselves, being aware, because everybody is different. And also at different times of our lives, we need different things. Right. You know, there have been periods of my life I was complete vegan, periods of my life where I felt I needed a little fish, uh, periods of my life where I was just vegetarian. Uh, so it's just listening to, to what is required for us to be functioning at our full capacity. What is your opinion of, of veganism? Are you, uh, yeah, like you said before, I, I don't think you're, uh, you must be this, you must be that. You just, I guess for you, it just felt right at that moment in time. So you were vegan? No, I never, I never uh, liked meat, even as a child. So it was not even a mental, philosophical thing. Um, because my parents were not, were ate meat, you know, and of course they served me meat when I was a little girl. Um, but I never liked it. I never had a taste for it. And as soon as I was living on my own, I discovered that you actually could survive being a vegetarian. So I became automatically a vegetarian at the age of 21 and I never turned back. Never, never. And actually, the one time somebody gave me something that had meat in it, and I did not know, I threw up. I, it's like my body had an immediate reaction. And it was not a mental reaction because I, I did not know this thing contained meat. So I've, I've, it, it just came naturally to me. It was not something. And then when I was writing my book on living food nutrition, I did a lot of um, research on raw food, on uh, sprouting, all of that. And that period of my life, I was completely vegan. Uh, it was about 10 years of my life. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, you know, my lifestyle changed. I was involved in acting. I was in modeling i was in different things and i started adding fish uh, from time to time but very rarely um and uh dairies but very rarely so you know i just 
I go with the flow now, really. Right. This is... So you said at age so 14. Most of, time, most of the time I'm raw and vegan, most of the time, but not completely. Like raw, not eat. even cooked, uh, just like vegetables yeah. and fruit. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Hi. Okay. Um, so I use, you mentioned astrology. Um, and you said it started early on with you and uh, at age 14. Yes. And then you became, um, it says here, at age 17, you enrolled in a faculty of astrological studies in London. Yes, can you now, like, let's say, can, can you, um, if somebody gives you uh, uh, just the, the time of birth and the place of birth, are you able uh, to predict with pretty much accuracy how that person is going to be in life? Yeah, I need also the time. Uh, but what about, even without okay. time, you can still give an accurate reading, yes. What about the, uh, if a per can you tell if a person is good or bad? No, you can't say that because um, a, a chart, it's a picture of the heavens when you were born. So depending on where the planets were, first of all, we don't, we are not born randomly. We choose our time of birth based on the karma we have to work out. So we choose our parents, our parents choose us, so accept us. And um, so it's a mutual agreement. And then we choose a specific time and a specific place and a specific date. Wait, wait, wait. And Okay. Uh, how how do parents uh, choose you if your if your parents are here and you are on the other side, or does that happen like? Because like, uh, isn't there an element of chance? Sorry. No, there isn't. It's okay. not random at all. And there is an element uh, that happens in dream time. That happens when we sleep. You know, when our our soul leaves our body and goes in other places. Okay. So an agreement is based between is created between a soul who needs to incarnate and parents who are ready or not to receive a child. And um, and even if um, you know if it's a child that was not wanted on some level that child was was wanted on some level so we choose our time of birth but of course we don't randomly choose that otherwise we would all choose something extraordinary and there is no good or bad time of birth or date because every every uh date and every chart every um, crystallization, we are each a crystallization in time and space um, has its positive elements and its challenges. So it's like the ingredients of a cake and in, in themselves the ingredients are not good or bad but it's a consciousness of the person, of the soul using those elements that can make them good or bad. So with right. the same ingredients, you can um, burn your cookies or you can make a sumptuous cake. Right. It's the same with what the tools, the cosmic tools we were given at birth. Um, we And throughout our life, we are also going to uh, use those tools differently. Like, for example, somebody who has Saturn in the fifth house in Capricorn, that could make the person be, um, you know, have um, 
no love affair or or be very depressed or very sad or very lonely or very um you know solitary or very insecure romantically you know that's one reading of that but as time goes that person can actually become very wise and understand love not so much as something that comes from the outside but something where that person needs to love themselves and and feel complete within themselves and then they will attract a mature relationship or they will understand romance in a more mature way and they're going to be able to live a very good relationship that is not based on illusion that's based on something very rational and very grounded right so uh would you say that the astrological chart is based is a set of potentials let's say and what you do with it it's it's basically on uh it falls on the kind of the soul like um i see where uh, you're also in in the works of carl jung so the process of uh, individualization is that that's the process where you actualize your talents Absolutely. And I think the purpose of life, of any lifetime, is to reach enlightenment. And a lot of people are always asking me, what about my past lives? So, of course, it's always exciting or a curiosity to know where we came from. But the most important is this lifetime. And what do we do in this lifetime? Because I see so many people say, oh, I was a high priestess in another past life. Well, that's great. But who are you in this lifetime? You know, or I was whatever, Cleopatra, which we don't know if that was true or not. But, uh, well, who are you in this lifetime? And that's what is important. And every lifetime is a chance to reach enlightenment. Every lifetime is a chance to fulfill our highest destiny and and more and we need to give i mean you mentioned that i did a lot in my life i you know it's it's always interesting because that's always something that people tell me uh when they read my biography (laughs) um i and in my sense i don't feel i did that much but I just try to live every day as fully as possible and have meaning in every day. You know, that everything I do, I try to do as completely as possible. Right. And, um, and with as much passion as possible. So, and I'm excited. I'm always curious about things, you know. That's why I love to travel. That's why I love living in different countries. Um, because I love reading and, and, and meeting people and understanding what makes people tick or what makes people become who they are. It's, it's fascinating right. to read people's biographies. You know, you know? if, if um, because you said, you, you, uh, I noticed a trait in you that I noticed in some other uh, successful people, which is you do, if you do something you, you want to do 100% and you want to finish it, well, I sometimes notice with, with myself is sometimes a lot of times I, I half-ass certain things and then it doesn't turn out well. But can I can I blame my astrological chart? Can you are you able to point it at the chart and be like, you know what? It's not your fault. Is this Saturn square Jupiter that's messing you up? Is that is that right? <laughs> You know what? That's such a temptation and so many people want to blame Mercury retrograde or whatever's going on. 
honestly, we need to take responsibility for ourselves, you know, because this, especially now, we are in a time where we have to reach mastery. And you can't reach mastery if you're going to blame something or someone or the stars or your sign, because it's not true. You know, these are potential, but it's what you do with that. And we have a responsibility and I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying it's fun, but, you know, the result and the, the sense of accomplishment you get when you went to the end and you pursued no matter what the obstacles were and you did it anyway and you didn't give up and you kept, you know, persisting into, I'm going to make this happen. And the, I think the difference between people who sort of float through life and people who achieve something of significance is that they never gave up in the face of adversity. They kept going and they kept saying, okay, I fell, but I'm going to continue. You know, it's like a little child. You know, if a child, when he's trying to learn to walk, every time he falls, he gave up. We would still be crawling today. <laughs> Right. And because the child fell and then got up and then fell and got up and fell and cried and hurt himself, but got up and eventually was able to stand. And this is what we need to do in life. You know, no matter how many times we fail, one time we're going to succeed. Right. And if we keep having that consciousness in our mind, we are going to succeed. So you would agree with uh, Winston Churchill, which is with his famous "never, never, never, never give up." When he gave, when he went, uh, I think, uh, yeah. Um, and even in love, you know, people tell me, "Oh, I've had two divorces, or I've had like such bad relationships." Or, well, let's think that the best is in front of us, not behind us. And if we start to think that the best is in front, we are going one day to succeed and people say, oh, well, I'm in my 50s and my 60s. It's too late. It's never too late. As long as there's life, it's not too late. You know, I had one client. She was uh, in her 80s and she had a horrible love track record. You know, her husband was cheating on her. I mean, it was just awful. And in her 80s, she finally found the strength to divorce this man. And she met the love of her life in her 80s. And he was 82 and she was 80. And they were like little lovebirds, you know, it was beautiful. But she wow. didn't give up. And that's beautiful. And I think, and that's what I learned, you know, it was really wonderful as a European to move to the US and to see the way Americans function because I really learned so much from America and living in America. And now I'm American too, I right. got my passport. But, um, you know, Americans don't have anything on starting over at any age. And I love that. I think it's incredible. And in Europe, we tend to get on tracks and stay on those tracks and, and sort of get comfortable. Americans never get comfortable. They keep challenging themselves. They keep, you know, at 50, 60 years old, they start um, to study law or they divorce cross country, sell everything and start over. I find that remarkable. And right. I think that's how we should live, that every day is the beginning of the rest of our lives. Every day 
we can reinvent ourselves and we can go on a reset. This reminds me, at one time I had uh, this dream that I told my Christian friend. Uh, and this dream was, um, it was like a life and it was my life and it was a big book. And this dream was like um, kind of hinting that, you know, at any page you are, you can always start, you can always uh, cross and, and turn the page and start a new page. And uh, my friend caught on the symbolism of that because I was uh, I was just relating a dream. But my friend was saying, "Well, this is this is really important, Matt, because at any time you can you can change the page and you can start a new page, a fresh page, a new." So I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is really powerful." And I tried to remember that lesson because it's like because sometimes I feel like, "Well, this is this is not working or this is not good." But uh, if I remember that lesson that at any time I can start again, that that's good. So um, back to Americans. Do you, beside that, what what do you think other uh, is other main differences between Europeans and Americans? I think Americans are not afraid to work. And uh, because the social system is not as comfortable as in Europe, um, you know, for example, in France, if you need a plumber, <laughs> you may wait for three weeks uh, before they, you know, come. Uh, whereas in America, within half an hour, you've got 10 plumbers giving you each an estimate better than the other, and they are willing to work. And I find that beautiful you know, that we have and consumers are, are kings in, in America and, uh, and new, everything that is new is exciting and, in, and, and they're not afraid to be innovative and to start, you know, to do things that have never been done before. Well, then in Europe, we tend to be also quite critical, negative. <laughs> um, and I think Americans are very positive, very grateful. They have a lot of um, an attitude, a, a very positive attitude, an attitude of creators. And I, and I think they're extremely professional. I learned enormously from Americans, you know, saying that's, yes to things and not saying no wonderful. all the time. And I do get sometimes a little frustrated when I return to Europe and people are like, no, I can't, or no, or... And you know, compliments in Europe, it's like, oh, you've got a nice dress. Well, I bought it 20 years ago and it has a little tear here. And it's like, just shut up, say thank you. And that's it, you know? Have you ever been <laughs> in UK? European friends to be grateful and say thank you and not go into negative things. <laughs> have you ever lived in the UK? United Kingdom. Uh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. Actually, when I was one year old, my father was working at the, on the Finnish program at the BBC. So between the age of one and five, I lived in London. And then later on, um, when I was studying astrology, I actually returned and I got a chance to work in Glastonbury as an astrologer. And uh, I lived there for a year. Do you, do you think that the UK's uh, attitude is uh, much like Europe or are they a bit similar to US? I think it's a mixture. It's a balance. I mean, I really haven't been back to England in many decades, so I don't know how things are now. Mm. Um, but from my memory, I would say that it was uh, probably a balance of the two. Okay. Uh, do you ever... Country. 
going back to astrology, do you ever read somebody's chart and be like, ooh, this, this, this person is in trouble. This is, a, this is a tough life. Well, some people have, um, you know, a more difficult journey than others. But I wouldn't say that um, somebody is doomed ever you know uh, we can be going through some challenging times but that's a nice thing about astrology is that it gives you a timeline and you know how long that period is going to last it could be a month or a week or six months or a year or two years um, but it's never there's always positive elements that help balance things that are difficult right so, so i wouldn't Hey, you know, character Alan Leo, who was a great ast English astrologer um, of the 19th century, said character is destiny. And that's true. You know, some people who are very detailed, very realistic, very pessimistic may have a bit of a harder time than those who are sort of happy-go-lucky kind of people, you know? Right. It seems like character is... because. Um, I, I was into Churchill a lot and, and, and Churchill early on, he realized that he had a lot of bad characters. So he started to, to try to uh, almost like kill off the bad uh, character defects that he had about himself. I don't know how successful he was, but he turned out to be a great man. So he, he did all right. So um, yeah, so not, so you quite essentially a positive message. You're like, Whatever you are, this is the cards you dealt with, even in astrology, but you can always um, move on and you can always build on that. And uh, is your, in your astrology, do you, um, uh, if you see something, a pattern in somebody's life, do you recommend that they do certain things or that they focus on this? Absolutely. Or? Absolutely. Yeah. There's always solutions to every challenge. And the purpose of a reading is not to be gloom and doom and say, okay, you poor you, that's it for the rest of your life, you are doomed. It's like, okay, well, you have this challenge, but here are things or steps you can take in order to transform this challenge and to make it an opportunity, to make it something positive that's going to help you. And, and if you look at the charts of successful people, most of them have a chart that you would not, that's not easy. And some people who have a very easy chart, they don't necessarily amount to anything because they don't have to overcome anything. So, you know, challenges are not a bad thing at all. Challenges right. are what help us grow and shift to another level. So, it's and there is hope in every every lifetime every whatever cards you were dealt um at the beginning of your life even if you were born in a very poor family or with very violent parents or with um uh, very negative parents or no parents or you know no matter what it, the beginning of your life is that's usually when you encounter your karma and the whole purpose of each lifetime is that we get a chance to to end our life in a better state than we started mm -hmm. and if we end our life in a worse state than we started then that's not necessarily a super successful life but 
maybe that was also the lesson we had to learn so that our next life will do better and we always have a chance to do better all right so but then the next lifetime will be harder because people will will be born in a in a you know maybe somewhere in china where they are political prisoner and you know there'll be tough lessons <laughs> i don't know you know it's very mysterious the process of reincarnation um i've done a lot of past life regressions on people and um in my experience it's not linear and sometimes we have to repeat a lesson in different forms until we finally get it. What do you mean um, by the lesson is that it's not linear? That, for example, a person can have a very uh, amazing lifetime where they were very successful or they were very uh, revered or they accomplished some pretty incredible things. And then the next lifetime could be very low and uninteresting or they could regress even you know lose the talents that they had um so i don't know i mean i'm not in the secret of how it works <laughs> i wish i've always been fascinated by that but um i in my experience it's not linear right so, um uh, going back to something you said earlier um when you say um, the purpose of life is enlightenment, obviously you're not talking about intellectual enlightenment. You're talking about a spiritual enlightenment, an enlightenment uh, as in Buddhism or Hinduism, which is the uh, kind of the uprooting of the personal ego and the one um, the merging with uh, the divine, let's say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's spiritual enlightenment in the sense of our soul you know what is most important is our soul and the goodness of our soul and the growth of our soul and and really embodying you know releasing ego and and when i say releasing ego we need our ego but a healthy ego not an arrogant ego not i'm better than others or um but an ego where we have a strong sense of who we are and strong boundaries and a clear purpose but at the same time we are open and flexible and and you know to to growing and learning and and bettering ourselves and yeah. and to me the soul is important the the goodness of our soul being as respectful as loving as compassionate as um sensitive and as strong as possible and strength is important very important do you agree that some events in a person's life are, are pre-ordained as in um predestination or maybe you agree to them prior to a lifetime like you're i've heard it said that some people um maybe agreed that they're in 9-11 or some people agree that they're in this uh car accident or whatever the case may be do you think there is an element of that that is a predeterminism element of human life absolutely i think we we do choose the very big events like you know like it, it amazes me how people meet for example you know and sometimes there is one person we need to meet and it took like 20 people we had to meet over 
20 years in order to get to that one base, very important encounter that is going to change our lives. So it's going to put us on specific tracks. So yes, I absolutely believe that some of the great lines are pre-chosen, pre-ordained. Uh, I believe we always have choice, but once we have chosen something, then we are kept to it. We have to fulfill that. We can't choose and then say, ah, I don't like this anymore, or I don't want this anymore. But we still have free will in the road we take. So it's a balance of destiny and free will. Right, Does right. Um, Churchill famously said that there's, uh, he thinks free will and predetermination are the same thing, which I'm still like, I'm not totally, I don't totally agree with that, but I think your explanation is, uh, I think I, I like it better um, because uh, I don't like, um, you, earlier you mentioned that um, if people, if people just like try, try, try without, uh, without giving up, they can uh, achieve much. But um, I don't know if you know, there's a, a Hindu mystic, a Ramana Maharshi, and he said, um, uh, whatever is destined to happen will happen and try as you might, it will, it will happen. But whatever is not destined to happen, Will not happen but try as you might to make it happen it will not happen and then he concluded that the best course of action is to be silent so if that is true what he said then it would uh, come to reason that some people maybe are just born to be a failures and whatever they try will just turn to well you know what <laughs> no i don't think anybody was <laughs> failure well then what's the point of living you know we can just throw ourselves through the window i mean we're done you know that's the, what's the point but no what i believe you know i like what uh Maharshi says um i don't think that we should necessarily be silent <laughs> but they are i think we need you know we, we have to see you know, it's like cats. I learned, I, I lived with two master cats and I learned so much from my cats. You know, my cats, cats have a very healthy ego. They stand there and they say, this is what I want. I may get it, I may not get it, but this is what I want. And then when they start to see that what they want is not coming and they keep having obstacle after obstacle, they still persevere, but they don't go crazy in their persistence either. And at one point they say, well, okay, that's not going. So let me do something different or let's go somewhere else. You know, it's like, you know, Bruce Lee said, be water, my friend. And that's beautiful because water goes around and is flexible and we can still want something. But if we push too hard, we may start to create something complicated. And I've seen that, for example, in, um, in parents who are so obsessed with having a child and it's not happening and it's not happening. And I look at their charts and clearly in this lifetime, this is not their path to have a child. And yet they try and they try and they try and they try. And now there's artificial insemination so they can even succeed in having a child. And all of a sudden they find themselves with major problems that if they had just listened and realize that maybe this was not their path, 
then no no would, uh, but listen they were they were trying not to give up they were trying you know never 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 and give up <laughs> and that's the that's a fine line you have to see when where is it good to not give up and where are you persisting so much that maybe it's not the right course of action right and but it needs the wisdom listen this is where we always have to track things right and this is the balance between free will and destiny and you know there is certain laws in the universe you know i mean the law to not kill the law to um not you know there, there are certain laws and we can take the long road or the short road and that's where astrology I find is amazing because astrology is going to give you, gives you a map for your life and shows you how you are, how to make the best of the circumstances that you are presented with and how not to lose time or to get stuck in things that really are not necessary. You know, it's like, right. do you want to take the scenic route or do you want to go, you know, take the freeway or do you want to get lost, you know? <laughs> and we have, and that's where our free will is. But, you know, and, and astrology is going to give us a roadmap so that whatever destination we want to achieve, it's going to say, well, maybe that's not the best course of action or maybe this is not the best place to live. Or maybe this is not the best person to get involved with. Um, and, and astrology can give us so many pointers that are going to help us get a very fulfilling journey and not lose too much time out. Right. So um, I'll give you an example. My because I know a little bit of my uh, astrological chart just by memory because I was really into astrology when I was a teenager. And I think my midheaven was is in Sagittarius. So, um, if I remember correctly, that meant that uh, it's something about teaching or public life. Is that true? Well, the midheaven represents your place in society. You know, it's your career, but it's more than that. It's really your place in society. So, Sagittarius, that would mean that you really are about expansion and philosophy and religion and spirituality but also other countries you know traveling so that would make you somebody who really wants to expand consciousness through the career that you choose that sounds, that sounds pretty open, good <laughs> and open positive horizons for others right but um okay I'm I get that, but if somebody's midheaven was in Capricorn, let's say, would that mean that that person is destined to be more at home, kind of like, you know, practical, mm -hmm. me mechanic, no, plumber? No, that would be somebody who's very ambitious, for one. Somebody who really needs to be the top of their 
job. So not somebody who works for someone else, but somebody who would like to be the CEO or the boss. <laughs> uh, somebody who wants to be at the top of the mountain um, and somebody who's going to climb in a very gradual way, but uh, will really seek the, the, the summit. Um, and somebody who's definitely going to want to be very practical, realistic, uh, very grounded, um, but the but extremely ambitious. That's okay, sure. so I saw that you were doing um, in the seventy uh, eighth Academy Awards. You were uh, you were the astrologer. How, how does that work? I didn't even know they had like an official astrologer. Do you like recommend? Uh, <laughs> Do you recommend a starting time? Do you recommend a date for it? Because I think the date is already chosen. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> no, it was uh, actually each Academy Awards, I found that out, I didn't know either, has a theme. And that year, the theme was Mystic. And it's a week um, going to the Academy Awards. And there are all sorts of festivities that are offered to the movie stars that are being nominated that year, but also other movie stars. It's not just those movie stars. And uh, so for a week prior to the Academy Awards, I was invited in this mansion in Hollywood and, um, and I was offering readings to whoever wanted to get a reading. So I met you know, all the, definitely the movie stars that were nominated that year. Uh, I was also interviewed by journalists and television from various countries and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I met some very interesting people. During uh, whose chart was, was like the most uh, kind of like, wow, this is, uh, you're going to be an actor now, but maybe you'll be a politician in 10 <laughs> years, you know? <laughs> well, I can't really reveal okay, names okay. So, private, but I can tell you one thing is that there was this um, red-haired actress, uh, very, um, very sweet um, from Australia, and uh, she wanted a reading, so I gave her a reading, and she was really, you know, not, not famous at all, and I looked at her child and I said, wow, you're going to be huge, you're going to be really, really famous. And she was very sweet and she said, oh, that's cool. And, you know, like, okay, great. And now I've, I've seen him, I have seen her in so many movies and I'm so excited every time I see her because I'm like, yes, I predicted that. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. So, so you just said that from the chart, you can predict if a person is going to be big or not. So there's an element of predestination already in the, <laughs> in the I astrological chart well i saw that she was coming to a time of great opportunities in her chart okay. and that she was really it was going to be a time where she was going to be very popular it was a time where she was going to be very visible in the public eye so um it happened that it was just in that period but that period can continue beyond that period right so, so everybody has a chance but some people it comes in a different manner you know but for her because she was already an actress but she was not famous at all when i met her and now she is so I'm right so 
you're talking about a progress chart. Basically, um, it's not just a natal chart, but uh, the chart going forward and how it changes through time. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, because we go through cycles. And, uh, and for example, the slow-moving planets like Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, um, they, you know, depending on where they are in our natal chart, so based on our date of birth, time, and place, um, we, we, you know, for example, Pluto, which takes about between 10 and 30 years to go through one sign, is not going to go through our entire chart during our lifetime. So depending on where it was at our birth, we are, it's going to cover two or three areas of our lives, but not every area of our life. So some people have more of a chance to be famous than others, if that makes any sense. Right. So mine was in, mine's in Scorpio, because a lot of that generation is, uh, well, I think it's like 15 years or whatever, yeah. It depends on which house, you know, the house is important, not just the sign, mm. but that's important. What you were saying, for example, the whole generation of Pluto in Scorpio, that was the generation where um, it became uh, obvious that they had to have, you know, that was the generation of become of AIDS. That was a generation of becoming very responsible with sexuality and understanding that you couldn't just randomly have sex with just whoever uh, so there was a deeper understanding of sexuality whereas for example neptune and libra that was the the flower power uh hippie generation where it was about um you know peace and love and community living and all those things and then when pluto came into virgo that was a generation of being organic, uh, recycling, you know, becoming very aware of our resources, the earth resources, um, you know, Pluto and Cancer, that was a generation of uh, creating the fridge and the freezer, you know, to conserve food, you know, every generation uh, astrologically has a specific mission to fulfill. And that's exciting. Right. So you can track everything that happened through a uh, progress chart because you can see how it changed over time and, and you can see the general trend. Are you seeing now that we're going through a massive change for the better or for the worse? I hope not for the worse. <laughs> uh, but, you know, change is always disruptive, but it's always for something different to come. So whether it's going to be better or worse, it depends on how we deal with things. But for example, the minute Jupiter entered Scorpio, and Jupiter has to do with integrity, and Scorpio has to do with sexuality, that's when we started talking about the Me Too movement, and where we started talking about sexual abuse, and sexual pedophile rings, and uh, human trafficking, all of that came when uh, Jupiter was in, um, in, um, in, in Scorpio. And it happened almost to the day that it, it came into the news. Wow. Almost to the day. 
it was unbelievable. Did that change now? Did that sign change already or? Yes, well now, um, yes, absolutely. Because now Jupiter is in Capricorn. So now it's everything having to do with people in positions of power and, you know, the integrity of um, big companies, the integrity of everything having to do with um, governments and people in positions of authority. All of that is being questioned right now. Right. And we have also at the same time Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn. So all of a sudden, a lot of questioning is happening of the lack of integrity of governments, um, uh, and, you know, and and some big corporations also. Um, were you ever into the work of uh, Alice Bailey by any chance? Yes, I was. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you make of, because um, I'm reading one of her books and uh, the only prediction I saw was uh, the 2025 prediction that the book is called Glamour, A World Problem, about the energy of glamour. But it said that in 2025, the energy of glamour is going to change. Is that something that can be predicted as well with astrology, that is some, there is something that's going to happen in five years? Well, I think sooner than that, you know, I think by 2000, the end of 2022, we'll really see if humanity succeeded or not, because things are probably going to get worse before they get better. And this is what I keep saying. I keep yeah. saying things are getting worse before it gets better, because I can yeah. see the trend and the overly politicization of everything. And but at the same time, the pedophile rings and all that are coming to the surface. So it's going to be a lot of heads rolling, I think. Absolutely. But until 2000, and we're just in that middle of that period that started in 2017 is ending at the end of 2022. And not a lot of people are talking about that period. And yet that period is key in the evolution of humanity. And either we fail as humankind and we fall into, you know, violence and anger and negativity and, um, and corruption, or we get our act together, we take responsibility and we, we create a new world, which is going to be a better world. Right. But that period now, you know, and it's not necessarily that things are so much worse than before, but they're more visible than before. And everything is coming to the surface. So it's almost like we are in the spinning cycle of the washing machine right now, where every darkness is emerging. Now, you know, with the internet, with YouTube, with uh, Facebook, I mean, what is happening in one, one corner is immediately visible all over the planet. And, and people can't just be hiding, you know, everything is in the open. And it's good. It's very good, you know, because all this darkness that has been brewing under the surface is now being exposed. And once it's exposed, it gives us a chance to transform it. Right. So would you say uh, the best thing one can do is uh, spiritual progress? Or do you think there is, uh, depending on who you are, you still have some role to play in doing some other things? Well, um, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that. Well, I think uh, people have different roles, you see. So uh, like some people are in positions of power. Some people are, have the ability to go out, to go out and some people protest. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not a, usually a big fan of protesting because I don't think it does much good. But 
Um, or because like uh, I, I don't know if you are familiar with David Hawking's work of uh, power versus force, and it talks about uh, levels of consciousness, and and there's a concept about uh, somebody at the higher level of uh, level of consciousness counterbalance a lot of people at the negative level. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that going to your shamanism work? Is that something that um, shamanism teaches as well? Well, I think everybody is making choices right now, you know, and I agree with you. Some people are happy demonstrating and throwing rocks in the street. Uh, and some people are happier meditating in their room. Um, and I don't think there is any good or bad action in that sense. You know, everybody needs to do what they feel called to do. And some people are warriors, some people are um, contemplative, some people are, are good with writing, are good with speaking, some people are good with action. So I think, you know, it's really, I think all of us are involved in what's going on right now. And it's, it's unprecedented. I mean, it's really a world war for real. I mean, every country is touched, every city is touched, every... Um, you know, dimension of society is being touched. I mean, it's a war at all levels right now, a war of media, it's a war of uh, people for people's soul. It's, it's a war for everything. And, um, and everybody is fighting at the level they, they can or they feel like fighting. Right, so, so it's good versus yeah, evil, basically. Absolutely. And it's a war for people's souls. I mean, it's it's traumatic what's going on, and it's very insidious because it's going through the media's, it's going through fear, it's going through fake news. Um, I don't think we can trust anything that's being said right now, honestly. I think the numbers are screwed. I think that uh, the information we received is is stories, not actual information. Um, I think that you know uh, the fear is being you know, placed into people's brains so that we will accept the un- unacceptable. We'll accept vaccines. We'll accept confinement. We'll accept yeah, okay. Let, let's go there. Let's go. Since you're going to vaccines, what, what do you think? Uh, oh, before we go there, I, I want you, can you say again the word screwed in your accent? Screwed? <laughs> you know, no matter how long I've lived in the States and I try to get rid of my accent, it's never going to happen. So yeah, I did it now. <laughs> uh, I, knew, I knew this French girl and she once told me uh, in the movies, they all talk like this and uh, they talk with the French accent. So when she did that, that's, that's the moment I learned how to do it because uh, I don't know, it's something when some. <laughs> for real because it's, it's, no, uh, we have to accept who we are and that's it. Uh, my accent is what it is and it's not going to change and i did try and and then i thought why you know this is my uniqueness and i should embrace that so i embrace my accent but you, <laughs> you see what you did there you gave up no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> okay I, um vaccines vaccines so um do you think there should be a bigger protection because they're trying uh, it seems to me they're trying to rush things through right absolutely you know what 
I don't believe in vaccines. I believe in raising your immune system. And if you raise your immune system by being happy, positive, and of course, you know, eating right, sleeping enough, drinking lots of water, avoiding drugs and alcohol, um, you know, because vaccines are not going to replace our, the strength of the human spirit and the human spirit is stronger. But right. if we start to give our power away to vaccines and they're playing, it's a, it's a sorcerer's apprentices, you know, they don't really know. Um, and some people have actually cured themselves of the Corona in a few days. So it's not as deadly as they say it is. Right. You know? The cure does sounds with what? Just like um, eating healthy and just being a healthy mind? Well, hot whiskey and honey to begin with. Hot know? whiskey, oh wow. No, seriously. Um, so, you know, it, it's again, it's creating fear in people. And people are so susceptible to fear. But we have to see who, you know, who is this serving? Because some people are getting, uh, are becoming billionaires with that coronavirus, you know? Uh, while other people are losing their jobs and, uh, and, 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 and having their lives destroyed. So we have to follow the money with all this. We have to look right. beyond right. the appearance. Um, and, and why are we being locked down? And how is mask help, uh, masks, wearing masks helping us? I mean, it's... It, <laughs> We were not created with masks, you know, because we need to be able to breathe freely. We need to be able to release the toxins through our breath. And if you have a mask that's keeping that inside, then isn't that creating more toxicity in your body? If you are always hand sanitizing everything, you know, I, lay, I go to Peru every year. I've been going to Peru for 15 years. I was initiated by the, by the Keros. Their water is filled with bacteria. If we drink tap water in Peru, even if we brush our teeth with tap water in Peru, we get so sick, it's horrible. And yet they have nothing. They can drink that water and they have nothing. They're immune. They're immune. So used to the, they're immune because their system is strong. And the more you hand sanitize everything, the more susceptible to illnesses we're going to become. We need some microbes. We need some bacteria. So I'm not saying live in an unhealthy way, stop taking showers, and stop washing your hands. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, you know, if we start, I mean, it's common sense. If we start to sanitize absolutely everything, if we start to wear masks, if we don't breathe fresh air because we're confined in our houses for months, and in a small apartment in a city, what's gonna happen? You know, I mean, right. we're right. going to start catching everything that floats around. It's ridiculous. So there's a lot of people protesting, lot of people now, protesting now uh, because of that's this uh, thing that's happening. I think we should protest. I don't think we should accept masks. I don't think we should accept confinement. I don't think we should accept vaccines. We shouldn't. I mean, why, why? you know, and look at what's in those vaccines. I mean, the, the animals they did some lab tests on, it destroyed the immune system forever. I think those people who are going to take vaccines, they're going to be in a, on a non-reversible course. 
and they're going to realize in a few years, oops, it created this, oops, well, right. <laughs> too late now. You know, <laughs> here, I'm currently uh, back home in Slovenia, and um, I heard on the radio that if some kids um, that are healthy and can't take the vaccine will not take it, that there will be some repercussions that, uh, so I'm like, wow, this is... Um, you know, they're not going to make it mandatory, but then if you don't take the vaccine, you can go to school. If you don't take the vaccine, you can't take a plane. If you don't take the vaccine, you can't get this job. And, and they're going to subtly, not so subtly, force people to accept the unacceptable. And we have to be very vigilant. We really right. do. It is the, a war. We the, are in a war right now. The it's thing that worries war. me the thing that worries me if if the, if it changes the DNA and that seems like a um, big no no if it ch changes the DNA that's like wow that's uh, that's too much. We're going to become robots. We are I going to stop being human. We're going to become hybrids. We're going to, you know, our humanity is slowly being taken away from us. Our soul is being taken away from us. So this is the most dangerous war of all. We are at a time now that is a major crossroad in the evolution of humanity and we have to be very vigilant. And I'm amazed to see how spiritual people even are completely asleep and how they are not, um, they are not seeing the writing on the wall. And that that's, that's of concern. That's really of concern because if we start to rebel en masse, um, if we start to say no to certain things, you know, but we have, you know, we, we have to awaken. We can't afford ignorance is not bliss right now. It's not because if we stay asleep, we are going to be brought to the slaughter and we have to wake up. It's very important. It's it's everywhere. Um. By the way, this might might get me in trouble, but I don't care because uh, YouTube okay. is starting to uh, YouTube is starting to uh, censor anything that's um, uh, that's uh, you know against the official narrative. But you know, whatever. And you know, that's the proof. If if that is happening, I mean, in the states, which is supposed to be the country of freedom of speech, right? Well, if they start to censor Facebook, and I've had my Facebook censored, you know, I posted a few videos that got censored saying this is fake information or this is not proven. Well, let people, be, you know, find their way with that. Who is saying that this is fake information? Who is saying that this is not right? I mean, that's, I think that's proof in the pudding that that was correct that zuckerberg was zuckerberg but it. <laughs> it's disturbing the intelligentsia it's disturbing the people in power it's disturbing the narrative that everybody wants us to you know that the authorities want us wants us to believe wow so we need to keep our critical sense and if we're censored then we're censored you know i'd rather be censored then not speak the truth. I but, really yes, I, I but you know what it is is that a lot of um, uh, I, it pains me to say this, but a lot of spiritual people are will go on will go with whatever the government says, and if the government says this is good, they will believe it. 
So, but, and as far as me, I, it's hard for, hard for me to know what is true, what is not, how much, how much are masks helping for people that are sick, how much, like these things. And then you go into vaccines and I'm like, I, I don't even like, I'm not a scientist. I'm, I don't even know what's going on. And then they, they're rushing <laughs> this through and, uh, and then they're attacking core like the, that, um, what's that, um. Uh, there's a medication that Trump was touting. And at first they were saying, um, before Trump, they were saying uh, it was good, a good drug, but then Trump was saying, uh, anyway, it, it, the media just flipped it around. Basically it was okay well, drug yeah. and then he it was, was not. He was talking about hydrochloroquine or something yeah, yeah. That, uh, that solves the malaria uh, as, as well as zinc and vitamin C. Well, it is proven that yes, it does cure Corona. And it is proven that, you know, when they put people on ventilators or however they call it, it kills them. So, you know, everything that is healthy is being said that it's not. And everything that is said it's real is not. And everything that is fake is real. I mean, pretty much right now, take the opposite and you'll know what is true and what is not. Yeah. Well, you know, it's used common sense. I mean, common sense has gone out the window. I think, you know, when the whole pandemic, quote, 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 began, all of a sudden everybody's rushing to buy toilet paper. Why? I mean, I was in Finland. I was in Helsinki when the pandemics began. And within days, they were whole walls that were empty. All the paper towels and toilet paper had disappeared. And when I arrived in Phoenix, in Arizona, I saw, you know, when people opened their garage, half their garage was toilet paper. It's like, what? <laughs> Who said that? You know, what is this about? Um, but it's like, the, I, I think one of the first symptoms of the corona was that it melted brain cells. That's what <laughs> it's with. So, I, and it's like common sense, use your common sense, you know, it's like people are like so brain dead right now. It's like they, they, they just sit in front of their TV and they just take it all in. Oh, the government says that it must be true. No critical sense whatsoever. But that's I think why I TV a long time ago. But I think that's the like forever. But I think that's required for people to be fed uh, things that are not true and then they have an awakening. So uh, this is, I think, that's why I think things are going to get worse before it gets better because people need to be exposed to it, exposed to it. And then once, if they realize they're being lied to, then um, there's a new um, political movement called Walk Away where people are like, well, this is, I was... uh, I was a uh, liberal for a long time, but now they're becoming vicious and all that. And, and I would question one little thing and I get viciously attacked and you know, th- this happens. Um, okay. I, we went, I didn't expect we're going to go this route. I, I wanted to talk about shamanism. If you want to mention it, if you want to mention it a little bit, uh, cause I'm curious as well. So um, how did you get originally into shamanism? Well, I, you know, I was born in Finland and um, even though we lived all over the world, because my father was a journalist um, and uh, he was posted in different countries. So every three years we changed languages, cultures, schools, friends, everything. Um, 
but every summer we came back to Finland and we lived by the lakes and did some saunas and picked berries in the forest and walked in the forest and picked, um, you know, stones. So I was always naturally, and, and Finland is the land of the shaman. So I was always naturally in that environment. You know, I knew about the Kalevala. My father gave me the Kalevala in three languages. He really wanted me to read the Kalevala. What is that? Is what is epic, that? Epic story of the Finns. And actually it is at the basis of the Lord of the Rings. Um, you know, Tolkien um, fell in love with the Kalevala. And it's, uh, it's a very interesting, esoteric story of shamans. And it's, it's, very, it's a very complex um, um, story that was put together by Nonrut, uh, who was a doctor in the 19th century in Finland. And those runes were sung in the cottages, in the in the houses, you know, century after century, and he realized that those people were dying, and he made it his life mission to go to all those huts and start to record and write down all those runes, which became the Kalevala. So, um, so it's a story. It's it's a very epic story of um, of shamans and and all sorts of things that happen. And, uh, and there's the mystical places and there's the Sampo and the Sampo is this thing that, um, you know, it, whoever has it will never lack food or money or health. Um, and nobody can describe what the Sampo looks like. I mean, there's all, it's, it's quite an elaborate story. So anyway, shamanism was always part of my life. And then I started reading the books of Lynn Andrews and I was totally in love with those books um, uh, who was initiated by those um, shaman women in Canada. And I actually met Lynn Andrews when I moved to Los Angeles. She was one of the very first people I met. And, uh, and as time goes, and then one day when I was 16 years old, I saw a picture of Machu Picchu and I fell in a trance and I knew I had lived there and I knew one day I would go there. And sure enough, it took several decades for that to happen. But um, I, I met a, um, uh, a Colombian who, was, who knew Peru very well, who spoke Spanish. At the time, I did not speak Spanish and we became you know, friends and he, he was going to Peru and I begged him to take me with him. And we went to Peru and it was supposed to be a one, one week trip. You know, I, I didn't even have my computer with me. I just had my backpack and it was just one week. And that one week ended up being three months because we got in a head on train collision in a jungle on 24th of December, 2004. And, um, and long story short, he had three broken ribs. I had nothing. And the Kiros, uh, who are a tribe uh, of, they say they come from the lineage of the Incas, which I have a few doubts about because they are very short and the Incas were very tall, but that's what they say. Anyway, there was always a Kero waiting for me outside of the hotel. And, uh, and they started bringing me to different places and started going through initiations. And then I became the godmother of three Kero children. And, and, and you know, and, and after those three months, I didn't quite understand what was going on at first. And when I went back, I was living in Arizona at the time. When I went back to Arizona, I, um, 
you know, I was, I was changed. I was physically changed. I was mentally changed. Um, something had happened to me. And then I went back six months later to Peru and it continued. And, um, and then the Kiros, you know, started asking me to bring people to Peru. And then they started asking me to create a school, a shamanic school. And I went through all sorts of initiations and all sorts of crazy things started to happen. And, um, and I, was, I was a reluctant shaman from day one because I did not imagine I could bring anybody to Peru and I could not imagine I could even teach shamanism. And now I have those schools in Phoenix and Helsinki. Uh, actually my, you know, I have, and I have already two schools that graduated. I have graduate students and, um, and it's crazy how it all unfolded, but they recognized me as being um, an Inca princess, but also the reincarnation of an Inca princess, but also being the reincarnation of the most powerful shy woman in Atlantis. So all these wow. things just um, sort of happened. <laughs> uh, and I just kept going with the flow, even though I had a lot of reluctance at many stages of this evolution. Um, not so much in, in the sense of being initiated, but in the sense of, um, of teaching, bringing people to Peru, because Peru is not an easy place because of the altitude, because of the water, because of um, a lot of things in Peru. I mean, it's not like going to Paris or London. It's a whole different story going to Peru. Uh, but it's an amazing country. The Peruvians are very sweet, wonderful people. And, um, and now it has become like another home to me. So what, what with uh, shamanism, what, um, uh, what, are, what are some of the craziest things you're able to do? Because I... I'd, I myself don't know much about shamanism. So if you can maybe like, I know it's something to do with spirituality, but, uh, but it's different because you're dealing with some kind of energies, initiations, that's uh, lineage. Uh, well, I think to me, shamanism is really the original indigenous psychotherapy using drums, rattles, feathers, bells, and stones. So it sounds weird to to speak about it like that, but it's really about how, you know, the, the goal of shamanism is to become as transparent as possible, that we're not projecting our shadow on everybody we meet. And that we have, not to say that shamans are perfect people, we're not, but uh, we have at least taking responsibility for ourselves and we are constantly bettering ourselves and we are as transparent as possible. And the shaman is the one who works also with dreams and who journeys through different worlds. So there's three worlds, according to the Kiros, the underworld, the middle world, the upper world, and different things happen in those worlds and there are different guardians in each world. And these are real places. They are not figments of our imagination. Every time you go to the underworld, um, you're going to sometimes encounter things that you have never seen before. And, um, and, and you become a tracker also, you start to track reality. So if an animal crosses your path, depending on what you're thinking or feeling at that time, it's going to give you a certain answer or certain indication of something. 
um, everything has meaning, everything has a soul in shamanism. Trees have magic and have a soul. Animals have magic, have a soul. They each have a specific medicine that they bring us. And we live in a world where everything is alive and everything communicates with everything. And we can learn and increase our wisdom and grow through all these um, experiences. Right. Do, do you think uh, having animals um, around in your house uh, it is essential to have at least, or maybe plants, because you have, it, like, if you're in the apartments all day long, you need some kind of different uh, life forms, right? We do, and we need to be connected to nature, because if we think about it, we live in apartments where um, heat and light are separate. You know, we have heaters and we have light bulbs, uh, but in nature, the sun is both heat and light. So we are living in environments that are very um, separated from nature. Like, for example, in ancient times, we would go to sleep when the sun set and right. we would wake up when the sun was rising. And now with electricity, we can be awake until wee hours of the night and, and, um, and wake up, you know, later. Or So we are rhythm, we are, we are not in touch with our natural rhythms anymore. And that's a problem, you know, and that makes people disconnected. We're not even, I mean, if you think of Skyrise or even apartments, if you live on the second, on the third, the fourth floor, you're not in touch with the ground. We never really walk barefoot in the park and we should. We should walk barefoot in the grass at least 20 minutes a day just right. to ground ourselves. Uh, so have you seen those grounding beds? There, there's yeah. um, products yeah. you can buy where, where yeah. you have a mattress and then you put, plug it in, but the plug is just using the ground and then you're yeah. grounded. Do you think that that's helpful? Of course it's helpful, but you see the problem is that we are trying to, we, we are needing to create devices to recreate nature. I mean, how crazy is that? You know, instead like the Kiros, they sleep on the floor, on Mother Earth. For them, Pachamama is their mother. And they don't want, you know, it's not that they can't have, um, you know, a mattress, but they don't want it. They want to sleep on the floor. They want to embrace Mother Earth. They want to be feeling the beat of her heart. And uh, we have become so disconnected. You know, people are, are, are just cutting trees, they don't care. They don't realize that these are living beings and that the, those trees are, are, are screaming and crying. Um, I, I mean, we are so, you know, we go to the store and we, we buy fruits and vegetables or meat and we don't have to go and kill the animal ourselves. If we did, probably everybody would be vegetarian or 90% of the population would be vegetarian. Right, right. So we are so disconnected, so disconnected. We use products on our skin that are toxic. We use toxic products, you know, to clean our house, so toxic products to clean our clothes, water that's toxic to, to wash ourselves and to drink. I mean, it's unbelievable. How, how do you wash your clothes? Do you use a natural uh, organic? As I can, yes. 
as much as I can. But of course, we are products of society and we can't be entirely green and ecological. We can't, it's impossible. Um, otherwise, we go back to living, you know, a more a barbaric cave. life. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we, we have to make some compromise, but at the same time, you know, I love it. You know, throwing garbage in Finland is an adventure on its own because there is a can for glass, there's a can for paper, there's a can for cardboard, there's a can for glass, there's a can for metal, there's a can for organic. I mean, it's, I mean, you really have to dissociate everything you throw in at least 12 different cans, you know? And really? Wow, 12. really remarkable. That's really remarkable, and it should be like that everywhere, and it isn't. Here is uh, here is maybe four, I think, but that's all right. The U.S. Um, is just two. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so um, uh, talk a little bit about what kind of if people go on your website, the michellecaron.com, I will put it uh, the link on YouTube or Facebook, or if you're listening to this on a podcast, it'll probably be in the description. Um, so you offering astrology, um. Readings? Readings, yeah. I do personal sessions, personal sessions um, uh, live on either Zoom or on the phone if you live in the States or on Skype. And, uh, and these are personal readings. So I talk about, you know, the essence of your past lives, the purpose of this lifetime, the cycles you are in, and some can go away in the past and the future. And of course, your personality and understanding, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses. I also offer uh, shamanic sessions, private shamanic sessions. So... You never know what's going to happen in those. It can be a soul retrieval. It can be removal of entities. It can be healing the family tree. I mean, there can be all sorts of things. Is that done and through Zoom or it have to be yes, done in person? Okay. No, I don't do anything. in. I mean, I do it live, but on Zoom because I travel so much that it's very difficult for me to do it um, in person. Uh, so I never do it in person. And I found that it's actually much more powerful if we do it uh, on the phone or on Skype because we are, you know, it's like I, I'm able to dive deeper into the person's psyche. And I also have a shamanic school. I have actually two shamanic schools, one in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, and one in Helsinki, Finland. And, um, and these are professional shamanic schools where I transmit rites, initiations, and I share what I learned from the Keros healing um, uh, modalities, but also we work on ourselves at the same time and go for the medicine wheel. And I do mystic journeys. So my upcoming mystical journeys are to Bosnia, the pyramids of Bosnia, the pyramids in Egypt, uh, the southeast of Finland, and this is based on the Kalevala, and uh, Peru, and we, where we work with the Keros. Okay, I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground. I, it went a bit longer than I expected, but um, I think it was very interesting. Um, so there she is, uh, a little controversial today, Michelle Karen. Uh, I think it, uh, that's not the French pronunciation, but uh, it'll doesn't be okay. matter. Pronounce <laughs> in every language, so depending on the language, you you can pronounce it however you want. 
Thank you for being on the show. And uh, if you guys are watching and listening, thank you for watching and listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.